0: Good morning and welcome to another of our Wednesdays in the Word. My name is Gary Cooney and I'm so glad you could join with me today as together we unfold the scriptures as we work through them verse by verse just as God breathed them out. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're now in the sixth chapter of that book. I'm going to pick up our reading today in verse 15 of that chapter. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin Have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We've been examining in chapter six of the book of Romans the issue of sin in the life of the believer. The first five chapters of Romans, as you remember, help us to understand the nature of the gospel, the necessity of Christ having come into this world, and how through what Christ did on the cross, there is a power for salvation to all who believe, and we need that power because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you see how the chapters fit together? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ as Romans 5 begins. As we get into the sixth chapter, the the issue in the book of Romans shifts from a discussion of why we need the gospel and what the gospel is to now addressing the believer, no longer the unbeliever. Chapter 6 has no benefit to the unbeliever. It is talking to the believer, one who is now justified before the Lord, and it is talking to the believer, you and I, about sin and a continuing struggle with sin in this life. And here's the point. Sin, though now forgiven through Christ and the gospel, can still hurt us. It can still corrupt us as regenerate believers. It still, if we allow ourselves to sin can disrupt our fellowship with God in a temporal sense, here and now, day to day. And, as we've talked about several times, sin, as we choose to enact it in our lives, will bring about divine discipline from God. He is our Heavenly Father now, due to the gospel we've been adopted into His family, and He takes His Father role seriously. And He will discipline us if we persist in sinful actions certainly because we are new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ to sin makes us feel all the more guilty and uncomfortable inside actually worse than we felt prior to turning to Christ now victory over sin in the life of us believers victory in the plan of God is rooted in several facts number one as I've already said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God has made us new people at the deepest level. He has changed us. He has made us a new man, a new woman. The old person that we were is no longer who we now are, although that old person still is lurking like a shadow. It has been programmed into us in the ways that we think, in the ways that we act, the muscle memory, if you will, in the life of the person. So the old man is still around, but that's no longer who we actually are. Although, by choices, we can end up acting as if we are the old person. But God has made us a new person. God said also, and here's another of these facts, that when we were saved, we died to sin. But the reality is also that sin did not die because we died to it. (laughs) There's a war going on. And as we get into the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, we'll be talking more about that warfare, that battle going on in the life of the believer between the new self and the old self taking uh, its source of contact and temptation in the midst of the members of our bodies. Last time, we were talking about the importance of considering, of reckoning is the King James uh, translation of it. Uh, We are called upon by God to accept this fact that our new self has died to sin. To accept this fact that we no longer need to sin to accept as a fact that the old self is no longer the real us, (laughs) to reckon these things to be true, to consider these things to be true. And we talked about the idea that considering is the idea of acting in faith, just as we, hearing the gospel message, considered it to be true, reckoned it to be true, reckoned what God said about our sin and separation and impossible accountability to be true, accepting what God said about Christ dying on the cross and that we could turn to him and repentance and faith and be saved, accepting it to be true. The same process is now showing up in how we respond to sin and temptation and the old self in this life. And he says, I want you to consider to reckon certain things to be true. (laughs) We are new people. We are no longer who we once were. We no longer have to sin. We're no longer trapped. We're no longer enslaved. We prove that we're considering reckoning properly when we make a decision to no longer offer ourselves, our minds, our bodies, as tools for unrighteousness. Instead, we offer ourselves to God to serve his purposes, to align with his word, to be used in his tasks in the midst of this world. We present ourselves to Him. It's what Romans 12.1 means when it says, in light of the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is what real worship is all about. Did you understand that real worship isn't about singing? Worship, real worship, is about surrender, presenting your body as a living sacrifice, To the Lord. Well, moving on, building on that foundation, as I read today, starting in verse 15, we are learning more about victory as a believer over the continuing battle and struggle with temptation and sin. And it starts out again in verse 15 by revisiting a question that was asked back in verse 1 of the sixth chapter. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? (laughs) By no means. As I say, we first saw that question start the sixth chapter. And in that case, it was saying, if we're under grace, does it even matter if we sin? And of course, the answer was, yes, it does matter. Uh, Here again, are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. God speaks unequivocally here he makes it very plain he says no not by no means it makes a difference if you sin. sin matters to me as your heavenly father it makes a difference no to sin has consequences by the way a basic foundation rule in the study of god's word is when you see principles or teachings repeated they're repeated for emphasis. God is repeating them to drive home to us that this is a pretty important fact. Here in the sixth chapter, he starts it with that question. and Now he repeats it again. The question, does it really matter if we sin? He answers and he says, yes, it does matter. Don't just keep sinning. Don't think that the implication of the gospel is that sin doesn't matter anymore. It does matter. <laughs> Listen to God's repeated challenge that's the point and the reason it's repeated to us is as his redeemed children god wants us to understand two things number one sin can still enslave us as a practice in this life even though in terms of eternal accountability for it we've been set free through the gospel Sin's enslaving capabilities as a day-to-day reality still exist. And secondly, God says to us it matters when we choose to sin as redeemed children of God because sin can quickly spiral out of control in our lives. Any believer who, hearing these words, has to, in their own heart, say, Amen, because we've had the personal experience to say, uh, yeah, I've seen that happen. As a redeemed child of God, I've discovered the reality that <laughs> sin, even though forgiven in Christ at the cross, can still captivate me and enslave me. And I've discovered the reality that when I'm choosing to sin, that sets in motion a spiral that leads me into more and more and more sin. I'm sure if you've known Christ as Savior, you would say amen in your heart. these very points as God elaborates on them for us in Romans chapter 6. So let's pick up on this point. He says, please understand that sin can re-enslave you, even as a redeemed believer whose sins have been paid for at the cross. Notice how he puts it in verses 16 to 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're the slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. We end up as a practical consideration in our day-to-day walk, our life, putting it that way, in this world, we end up being enslaved by who or what we choose to obey. That's true for the redeemed believer who's become a new creation. Our decision about temptation has great implications, therefore. We may not in our minds and hearts say, well, I'd like to be enslaved again. But that will be the outcome if in the case of individual sin, we say, no, I think I'll go ahead and sin this time. Because after all, I'm redeemed and God will forgive me. The decisions we make will end up enslaving us. The word enslaved and slave, as the word slave is used in these passages as well, is the Greek word doulos, which is a particular type of slave. It is one who chose to be in bondage, one who sold themselves into slavery, like a bond servant, which is a good translation of doulos. Uh, Paul uses the term doulos to describe himself and other believers who are... uh, Slave who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ having sold themselves into his hands to serve him. We are your bond servants. Good description, good parallel to what the word disciple really means. Once again, Dulas slave refers to a condition we choose to enter into, not something we're forced into. But here's the point also of Dulas. Once one chooses to become a doulos, their opportunity for choice is gone. In the practical, real-life setting, once somebody chose to sell themselves into slavery to become a bond servant, they were now forced to stay as a bond servant until such time as that cause was fulfilled. For example, somebody, many people coming to the United States in the early years of our colonization came as bond servants. They sold themselves uh, to be a slave for lack of a better description of that, to serve someone for X number of years in exchange for the passage to the new world. For example, uh, if you'll pay for me and take me on the ship I promise to, to serve you without pay for five years or however long the arrangement was. That's the nature of a bond servant. Once freely chosen freedom's gone, because now there's another side to the equation that we must serve. By our decisions, and in this case, in Romans 6, by our decision about temptation to sin, by our decision, we choose what our condition will be. We can either make a decision, and therefore a choice, that leads to a condition of growing deepening in our discipleship. Or we can choose to do something that ends up enslaving us once again and pulling us in all the directions we don't want to go as a redeemed believer. Why is God developing all of this in this fashion? Well, here's clearly the point. Though saved, though redeemed by Christ's work on the cross, though justified before God and at peace with God in our lives, therefore not having to face the ultimate judgment of the great white throne, sin choices in our life still impact upon us. They still affect our life in this world. Let me phrase it this way. Now as a redeemed child of God, even though a sin choice does not affect our standing in Christ. It very much affects our day-to-day experience in Christ. Very much affects our day-to-day walk, our day-to-day sense of peace with God and our continuing experience of being pleasing to God in this world. This reality that there's a difference between being delivered from accountability for sin and being delivered from the power of sin is underscored in verse 16 by, this, by that opening statement, do you not know? Do you not know? Your experience and my experience becomes the perfect teacher. That's why God phrases it that way. He says, don't you know, don't you understand, don't you admit to yourself that when you have chosen sin, even as a redeemed child of God, that that sin had an enslaving effect on you. It had a devastating effect on you. It impacted on your sense of peace before God. It impacted on your sense of power. It impacted on your sense of being in the right place as a redeemed child of God. Experience teaches it. To our heart our own life it should be teaching you and i how subtle and enslaving sin still is in this life even though you and i have been saved you and i have been delivered from judgment into life you and i have been given a new creation inside <laughs> you and i have a future to hope god says i've done all of that But I'd like your present to be a time of hope. I'd like your present to be a time of peace. But you can make choices to make your present time an enslaving time. Your present time to be far from peace, a very unsettled and unhappy period of existence. Having said that, verse 21 makes an interesting challenge to us. And I didn't read that, but let me read it to you. He said... But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. At the end of talking about these issues of sin and the continuing problem of sin in this life and the consequences of choosing sin, God poses this question in hindsight. Now, again, talking about this period of time as a believer, after you turn to Christ as Savior, in hindsight... What true value has a sin choice ever given you? And as, as human beings, we supposedly try to make choices because of the benefits to us. I do this because it is beneficial to me. And God says, ask yourself this question and be honest about it. In hindsight, what true lasting value ever came From a sin choice in your life. And if you ask yourself that question, and honestly in the mirror talk to yourself about it, you have to admit, Lord, no lasting value came from any sin choice. Sin has pleasure for a season sometimes, but after that comes the disaster. Sin was of no lasting value. And God poses that question to us to say, be sensible. The choice of sin is not in your best interests. Life proves it to you. When I say don't do certain things, it's not just because I have some arbitrary set of guidelines and moralities I want you to follow, but I created you in a certain way, and aligning with my truths, with my biblical commands, makes you happy. To break those destroys you as a person. Sin will never be of value to you over time. What a great reminder all of that is. Here's the point, too. God's promise to us in these verses that I read to you today is that salvation, besides saving us and giving us a future and a hope in Christ, actually permits us to be able to make choices here and now, choices of obedience. We couldn't really make choices beforehand. We were slaves of sin, as John 8 puts it, We might have tried to choose righteousness, but we could only stumblingly do that and certainly never enough to be saved. But now we can actually make choices. God's changed the equation for us. Salvation permits us to make choices about obedience. If we make the wrong choices, if we choose to obey the temptation to sin, then we need to understand, as verse 16 puts it, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. If we choose to go along with sin in our lives, there are consequences. It leads us to death. What does that mean? It doesn't? It's not talking about our eternal standing here. What it is saying is it leads to feeling spiritually dead because sin calluses our heart. Sin makes us insensitive to god and insensitive to his spirit's leading it is deadening and sin keeps us from growing as disciples we become shriveled as believers (laughs) when we choose to obey the temptation to sin there are consequences in our life but remember god said now is redeemed people we actually can make choices If we choose to obey God's laws and the leading of God in our lives, then no, as he puts it, it leads to righteousness. It will always lead to righteousness. To choose to align with God's truth, remember, that's the point we can choose. As we align with God's ways, it enlivens us spiritually. It deepens our growth. It satisfies our soul. We have the joy of the Lord as we continue to follow him. So there's our choice. We have now the freedom of making choices. We have not got the freedom to avoid the consequences of choices. If we choose sin, it deadens us. If we choose righteousness, it invigorates us and satisfies our souls. Spiritually enlivening. All right. So let me summarize some things. What has Romans explained to us now about the reality of sin in this world? How's it all fit together? Well, Romans chapters 1 to 4, which we looked at pretty extensively, underscored for us that we all began as slaves to sin. And the consequence of that is that we are all lost and hopeless in that loss. There was nothing we could do to solve the problem and consequence of sin's accountability in our life. Romans 4 and 5, building on that foundation, then said, But if we turn in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting the gospel, we are set free from sin's guilt and sin's accountability, that now we can stand right before God, no longer judged on the basis of our sin and failure, but judged on the basis of the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) We began as slaves, and as a result, were lost and hopeless. When we turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were set free from sins, guilt, and accountability. Now we stand before God based on the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 began by reminding us that we've been set free as a consequence of sin's control as God made us new creations. He changed us at the deepest level. But we're also discovering now throughout chapter 6 that we must choose as redeemed believers to align with God's Word, to live in harmony with the new self that God has made us. And if we don't, there will be consequences not the eternal ones, although there are eternal implications in terms of rewards and accountability and and usefulness of our life, fruitfulness. But nonetheless, not in terms of our eternal standing, but there will be consequences in terms of our life now in this world. We are to wholeheartedly choose to live in obedience. And Romans 6, 7, and 8 explains to us why we need to do that, And how to do that by explaining to us the nature of the Spirit-filled life, that God made us new creations, but the Holy Spirit also indwells us. And as a consequence, we can now address sin and temptation differently. So the summary of all of this is pretty simple. Don't build on the miracle of salvation and the miracle of being made a new creation as a consequence, don't build on that miracle with choices that lead you back to end up being enslaved. I think Romans 5 1 puts it parallels this and puts it very plainly. Let me read it to you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Well, how would I submit to a yoke of slavery? By choosing to not take sin seriously and as a consequence to give in to temptation, which then spirals out of control and re-enslaves us even as a believer. Well, join me next time as we continue in this study and we'll look and end the sixth chapter by examining a bit more about this spiraling effect of our choices, either the spiraling into discipleship or the spiraling into death. God bless. Have a good week. I'll see you Lord willing next Wednesday.